the Samsung Neo QLED 8K TV featuring incredible color volume with 8K AI upscaling powered by 20 neural networks on an impossibly slim screen is the kind of TV that's so visually astounding, so unfathomably well-designed, it has to be seen to be believed. Don't believe me? Well, okay then. Radio has its limits. Samsung Neo QLED 8K, unreasonably good. Hey, Brawl listeners, are you struggling to find the perfect little stocking stuffer? Head over to manscaped.com, use promo code BRAWL. That's manscaped.com. You'll save yourself 20% and you get free shipping. Use promo code BRAWL. Grab the new lawnmower 3.0. Believe me, you can thank me later. But do not head into the holidays like a matted up Sasquatch. Get lawnmower 3.0. Spend a few bucks on maintaining the Christmas cookies and get yourself ready to slide down the chimney. With their speedy shipping, you've still got time, but you need to head over now to manscaped.com. Use promo code BRAWL. Save yourself 20% and get free shipping. That's manscaped.com. You are listening to the Sideline Sass Podcast, episode 47, Follow the Fullback. In this episode, I'm joined by the one and only Daryl Johnston, former fullback for the Dallas Cowboys and current NFL analyst for Fox Sports. Johnston chats with me about the state of the position, shares stories from his playing time in Dallas, and talks about his football journey, including his time at Syracuse. We talk a lot of fullback, a little bit of college football, and a tiny bit of NFL, including Taysom Hill's performance in the Saints win over Atlanta last weekend. But first, some housekeeping stuff. Hey guys, Emily Van Buskirk here. Welcome to the Sideline Sass Podcast, a proud member of the Brawl Podcast Network. If this is your first time listening, I'm glad you found me. The Sideline Sass Podcast is generally produced every two weeks just for you, and the show notes can be found on the episode page at Spreaker.com. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts, and feel free to rate and review. Let your girl know how she's doing. If you feel like getting social as well as sassy, make sure to follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Sideline Sass with three S's. Or if you're more like my mom and prefer a wholesome connection, go ahead and like the show on Facebook. If you like what you hear and you want to see more, check out the website www.sidelinesass.com with three S's for more sports content. Feel free to follow the sass on my personal account at MLNEM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M, on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you didn't catch all that, no worries. All of those links and handles can be found in the show notes. And I'm excited to announce the addition of Sideline Sass merchandise to the brand. If you want your very own Sideline Sass dad hat, head over to the Brawl Network website and get your very own. But uh, for now, let's uh, go talk to some people. All right, Sideline SaaS podcast listeners, we are back now with another episode of the Sideline SaaS podcast. And this time I am joined by somebody very exciting. I'm so, I'm going to try and keep my composure as we go through this episode because I'm very, very excited to talk to this guy. He is an NFL analyst for Fox, a former NFL and college fullback. I'm welcoming to the podcast now, Daryl Johnston. Thank you for being on. 
Oh, my honor, Emily. Thank you very much for keeping the fullback position out there in the front page of everything. I'm <laughs> just doing my part for football here. So it's funny that you say that because I get a lot of, I wouldn't say grief for it per se, but I definitely get a lot of people, especially on Twitter, as we're aware, uh, like to argue about the fact that this position is dead. And and I hate to even use that word because it's so maudlin, right? Especially when you talk about football in general being just a vicious sport. But do you get a lot of people, I have to ask you if you get a lot of people that argue with you about that, that bring it up or say things about that and how, how you go about having to talk about the position itself. Well, there's been a little bit of a resurgence uh, as of late. You yes. know, it's, it's become a more positive conversation with people. But yeah, there was a stretch there, you know, early 2000s. And then really probably all the way up through about 2012. So that, that you know, that first decade of, of the 2000s, uh, it, it started to transition out as, as the greatest show on turf, you know, kind of pulled offenses in a completely different direction. Yeah. Um, and then the spread game started to to impact the high school and collegiate level. Mm-hmm. Um, and the position just started to become, you know, less sought after, uh, whether you were recruiting from high school to college, whether you're trying to draft or sign free agents from the NFL uh, from college, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there was not a lot of representation, you know, nationwide at the position. There were there were certain schools um, that ran it at the collegiate level, and, and there are certain schools that run it at the high school level. And if, if that was what you wanted to be a part of your offense, if the fullback position was going to be a part of your offense, mm-hmm. then you, you you had to narrow your scope a little bit um, to be able to go out and find uh, people to to fill that void. Uh, Do you think it's seen- really that hard to find these guys? Like that's one of the things that people like to say as something that marks the position as difficult is that it's hard to find guys to play that and obviously we've seen the position be kind of given the moniker of like blue collar tough like kind of a little bit crazy of a guy to be running into the fire while everyone's running away do you think it's really that difficult to spot a fullback in the wild or if you have a trained eye you can do it <laughs> uh I, I think as people tried to transition out you yeah. know they were trying to go to the outside linebacker position the undersized defensive end position mm-hmm. uh, you know one of the one of the things that that probably bothers me the most is when they just put a big you know defensive tackle back there um, <laughs> yeah. and anyways 325 pounds and, and they think that that's what that's what's going to happen you know we saw refrigerator perry in the super bowl yeah. <laughs> when the bears used him as a runner um and, and that's one thing uh, but it's it's different i think he was probably the one big guy yeah that was good at it because he just he understood pad level and, and i'm sure there was probably a little bit of carryover how he played his defensive line position uh, as to how he was playing the fullback position when they put him in that spot. But right. most guys, you know, when, when you try to transition somebody that, that plays with six inches of space between him and his opponent, and then you, you create 10 yards of space, mm-hmm. eight yards of space between that player and his opponent, it, it's a completely different kind of contact. I mean, right. it's not, it truly becomes a game of collisions at that point. And, and that's much different than what those guys are doing uh, on the inside of the line of scrimmage. So, you know, I, I don't I don't think there's a whole lot of carry over there where you would grab a big guy and just put him back there because I've watched them. You know, they're 325 pounds. Yeah. But they'll get they'll get stoned by a guy who's, you know, 240. Yeah. Uh, that's, because yeah. he understands pad level and leverage and, and, and he's that's his that's his swimming pool. You know that he knows how to, to take on that block regardless of how big you are. That's true. Um, so size doesn't win every battle there. And, and some of the guys that I played against. You know, a Sam Mills, a Jesse Tuggle, you know, those guys were, they, they were just a pain in the ass yeah. to try and block because 
it was so hard to win the the pad level battle against those guys. I so, it. you know, they were out they were outstanding on the inside. That's awesome. And that's something I don't I think people realize, you know, when you you look at just the physicality of position, sometimes and and I don't know, maybe you can confirm this for me. I've had coaches tell me that fullbacks tend to be some of the smarter players on the field just because they have to be aware of every single situation, every scheme. They have to know everything about the game as opposed to just one single aspect, you know, whether it's offense or defense. Um, and, you know, back in the day, there was a guy at Stanford, I don't know if you remember his name, Owen Marisic. He played on both sides of the ball. So he was not only a fullback, he played defensive every single game. Do you think that there's some merit to that, that the fullback does have to be kind of one of the sharper guys keeping his eyes on everything and knowing every situation he's going to be in? I do. I do. And, and it's probably a little bit of self-preservation um, <laughs> because, you know, you don't want to become a short yardage goal line guy. Yeah. Um, so to be able to to stay on the field, um, you know, you need to you need to learn other other parts of the offense. So right. it, that was one of my big opportunities was, you know, our third receiver uh, was getting something done from an equipment standpoint, you know, during practice. And, and North Turner is like, you know, you know, hey, you know, get in there. And, 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 and so, you know, he was getting work. So I jumped in. Okay. And he's like, no, you get out of there. And I said, I, don't, I know what to do, North. <laughs> and so he ran the play, and he's like, well, how much How much more do you know of the slot? And I was like, well, you know, sitting in the meetings, I'm listening to everything you're saying. So, you know, I know that's the F position. It's not It's not the fullback, but it's the F. So right. every time you're talking about the F, you know, I'm listening to what you're saying. So that's that's when my role started to expand a little bit in Dallas. Okay. Because now all of a sudden the coaches have confidence that they can stand in a huddle and the defense can look at you and go, Okay, that's 21 personnel, so, you know, we're expecting run, play action, stuff yeah. like that. Then all of a sudden you break the huddle and, I, you know, I go out wide or I go into the slot. <laughs> they don't know, know what you're going to do. You know, we're running something that's completely different. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, defensively, you're going to match with a with a bigger personnel group. So I'm I'm getting the Sam linebacker, you know, on <laughs> yeah. me or, or, or the strong safety on me in that situation, which, you know, from time to time becomes a favorable matchup. And the, and, the, and the players that I've talked to, well, I guess the coaches as well, like coordinators and different things, they say that the linebackers, those guys hate lining up across from a fullback, and they know, you know who you are when you come into the game and what you're going to bring. When they, the fact that they have to hit you all these downs, they know it's going to be a battle. And so they look across there and they see you and they're just like, oh, man, here, here we go again, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, the, that's all you want from your opponents is for them to think – you know, this is going to be an all-day sucker. This is this is sixty minutes. This is four quarters. He never he never stops playing hard. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're up fourteen or they're down fourteen. You know, he he plays the exact same way. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really the best compliment you can ever receive from anybody. And you know, I had I had somebody say that about me, and, and it meant the world to me. Um, you know that hey, you know he he, he plays hard every single snap. Right. Um, you know that means the world to you. And yeah. then, You know, you, you get a during pregame you'd be doing pat and go, and you know it. it you know, out near midfield, you know, the opposition coaches are out there and, are, you know, they're kind of watching us warm up. Our guys are watching their guys warm up. And, you know, you, you have some coaches that you really respect it. You know, Buddy Buddy Ryan said something to me one day, you know, when we were playing the Eagles that, that meant the world to me uh, because I respected him as a head coach and, and yeah. how great he was as a defensive line. And, you know, how difficult those defenses were to play against, you know, whether it was Philly or Arizona. Uh, you know, when you, when you played against the Buddy Ryan defense, it, it was a war. I mean, it was an absolute war. Yeah. And uh, not just his scheme, but the players that he found to play that scheme. So, yeah. you know, for him to, to pay a compliment like that to me meant, uh, meant, a, meant an awful lot. And I miss him. I miss him. He was he was one Aww. of the best guys for football. Well, that's I like that story. I, I not heard you talk about that before. I, I Well, you're talking about the Cowboys. I, I have to ask you about the – 
a little bit about the Building Blocks movie. So we watched the the making of Daryl Johnson trailer. What was it like to to put together that and see them make this documentary about your life? Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, I was I was very I was very flattered when they approached me. Yeah, and then, but then when they asked me for a list of people that they could go visit, right? You know that would add the quality to the story, and mm-hmm. you know that, that that meant the world to me that they. They weren't just going to do it based on what they thought. They they actually wanted me to weigh in on it. You mm-hmm. know, who should we talk to to really to understand? You know, who you were, where you came from. Um, so I and I wanted people to see some of the challenges. That it yeah, wasn't, it wasn't easy. I right. mean, it was it was a it was a hard road, and there were there were moments of doubt and hesitation. You know, at each step. You know, at the yeah. college level. You know, getting down there. Um, yeah, and, and maybe feeling that I didn't belong, and then the NFL level. You, you thought you'd worked really hard, and and. You know, you'd finally made it. And I had a big exhale when I got to the NFL. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's when the hard work really needs to kick in. Right. So I, I, I got a little bit wayward for about a, a season and a half. Um, you know, North Turner was, he was really, really important for me. Um, yeah. You know, coming to the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and I had Jim Hoffer um, at Syracuse who, who got there when, right. I, when I, was, I was at a really tough time mentally. And so, you know, for some reason, God brought two people into my life that I, that I know I wouldn't have I don't know what would have happened had those could have been a different path. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Could have been, could have been a very, very different path. (laughs) Well, you talk about growing up in this small town and part of the, you know, documentary speaks about that's kind of what molded you as a person and your values. And, and I think that really speaks to a lot of players across the country because, you know, yes, you have these, these five-star athletes and you have these guys that make their commitments on Twitter and, you know, the game has changed a lot, but the, the lifeblood of what fuels college football to me are these guys that are known as, you know, to quote two-star, quote, you know, even three-star guys that come from small towns and and just want to play the game they love at the next level. And that's kind of what spoke to me in that documentary is you talk about that town and inst- your town instilling that in you and then going to Syracuse and playing on special teams, which is something that happens to fullbacks. They get a lot of special teams, you know, um, play before they really ever find that space. It's like a chance for them to show what they can do. You know, maybe talk a little bit about that and, and what that meant to you. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the town itself is just, you know, it's very blue collar. Yeah. Um, it didn't matter, you know, who you were. It, it, it's just, it's a, it's a very unique setting. It, it's, it's a little bit, you know, Rockwellian. Yeah. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, you know, like my wife teases me, it's, you know, she calls it, um, you know, Mayberry, you know, it's, you know, like from Andy Griffith. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't lock your doors at night. People just walk into your house. Hey, what's going on? That's like an era um, gone by because we don't have, exactly right. yeah, yeah, it's weird. And she's from, you know, she's from Arizona. Or she's from Philadelphia. So yeah. She's a city girl. Okay. Um, and, it, and it just, it, it, it couldn't be further from, <laughs> you know, what she grew up with as opposed to what I grew up with. So, yeah. um, you know, it really is, but that's, that's when, that's when you're malleable. Yes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you know, your high school coaches or your Pop Warner coaches are going to have a big influence on you. Uh, your college coaches still, but you know, once, once you get to the, to the professional level, you, you, you've kind of, you've kind of formed your habits, you know, right. you, you can still be molded a little bit and shaped if you've got really good coaches, but you know, a lot of that happens, you know, when you're in high school. Uh, yeah. So, you know, to be from a town like that and, you know, have, you know, the, the type of people that I was exposed to as coaches, you know, to have the guys around you that, that were just about team and, you know, we were small, we were rural. So, you know, yeah. it was, it's all hands on deck. I mean, you never, if you were an athlete, you never left the field. Oh my goodness. You know, we, you know, we had, uh, you know, maybe 28, 29 guys on a varsity roster, but, you know, truth be told, there's probably 16 or 17 of us that were playing. 
Um, so it's just, it was, it was just a unique thing. It, it was, you know, probably as Friday night lights as you can get on, oh, in Western New York. That's awesome. As opposed to being out in West Texas. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we didn't have the following, but there was still, there was still the passion. I, I, you know, I, I tell people it's a little bit like Hoosiers where I grew from oh, or where I grew up from. That's um, awesome. You know, if you had a really good season, people followed you because it was, it was part of the social fabric of the town. Right. So, you know, they, they travel, you know, on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon to watch you play. And if you, if you made it into the playoffs, we made it to Rich Stadium, uh-huh. the old Rich Stadium, my junior and senior year for the playoffs. That's and, exciting. Yeah, that, that was huge. Yeah, that's a big school. deal. Yeah. So, you know, there, there was a, you know, we were very fortunate. It, it did have a, a kind of a Hoosiers feel to it, my junior <laughs> and senior year of high school. Have you heard of Pittsburgh Sutherland High School in Monroe County? Do you know? Okay, well, so one of the the coaches I had in my story, he has been the head coach there in Monroe County, um, upstate New York, for 15 years, and he actually played fullback himself back in the day. And his three has three sons, and this is like crazy to me that I found this family. He played fullback. He has three sons that play fullback, all of them, and they went to Buffalo. So, and I'm writing this story, and I'm talking to him, and I was just like, how does that even happen? Where I didn't think fullbacks were born, you know what I mean? I thought they were forged and made in, in the fire, and and they come out that way. But he, he's from this family, and it's funny to me that it's upstate New York in, in that same kind of city that you're talking about, and then they end up going to a school nearby, just like, you know, you went to Syracuse. Do you think that there's something in the water upstate New York? <laughs> what is it? So is it Pittsburgh? So it's right outside of Rochester. Yeah. Yeah. Pittsburgh, um, Sutherland, yep. Isn't that funny? It, I, I just think it's... Um, <laughs> You know, that's, that's a suburban, it's a small suburban town. Mm-hmm. We played them in, you know, soccer was another one of my sports growing up. Okay. And, you know, Pittsford Menden was the high school, the big high school outside of Rochester. Okay. Um, that we knew as a soccer power. So, you know, we're, we're very familiar with those athletes down there, but I, it was very similar to, to the type of area I grew up in. Um, okay. You know, I, I don't think a lot of people realize, but, you know, that, that part of the country, you know, at the turn of the century, you know, in the, at the turn of the 20th century, uh, yeah. in the early 1900s, Buffalo was, God, Buffalo was the third third largest economy in, in New York State. Yeah, it's, it was a, um, it's a big city, it's a, and people don't yeah. realize that, yeah. Yeah, and then Rochester was, you know, Rochester was the home to Xerox, Kodak, oh, wow. Washington Lom, um, Johnson and Johnson, um, Ray Ban. Oh, um, you know, they had a they had a huge corporate. Um, footprint in rochester huh. um okay. so you know you had a lot of you had a lot of people that were were blue collar mentality that were you know raising families in the suburbs okay when you get up into that part of the country so i i just think that like you said are they born or are they made them molded? <laughs> if, you know if you're if you're born in that area there's probably a good chance you can lean that way yeah just because of the values that are going to be instilled yeah. in you right um so really you know i mean that's that's going all the way into syracuse yeah, you know, they're, you know, it, it's it's very very similar. You know, as you move across from the central part of New York State and you go west. Yeah, I just you know, thought that was funny. Say, you know, hey, did you go to the city all the time? Like, it takes <laughs> it's like eight, seven it takes eight, nine hours to drive to the city. Okay, and they, they don't understand how big New York State no, is. No, they don't. And to be fair, I'm a California girl. I've lived out here my whole life. But my younger sister, she lives in Manhattan. She's a, a district attorney in ADA in Queens. And so I used to tell her, like, oh, I'm going to come visit you, and I'm going to go catch a game at Syracuse. And she's like, Emily, that's not how that works. Like, you can't just, you know, yeah, hop yeah, on a train. from LaGuardia to Syracuse. <laughs> yeah. She's like, you're going to have to fly up there. Or, like, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to a Buffalo Bills game. She's like, no, it doesn't – you can't just, like, jump a train. Like, it takes all day. So 
I think to be fair, people don't know that, but um, now that it's kind of becoming more of a thing, Syracuse has been on the map. I love watching their kicker. Last year, obviously, he won the the award at the ESPN Awards. Um, Andre Seismet, he's amazing. It's been a tough year, a couple years though for Syracuse. Do you still follow along your old alma mater? I do. Okay. I do. And they they've they've gotten rid of the fullback. That's why they they're, have. they're struggling so much. They went spread on me. They did. So yeah. Which, Everybody you know, went I, I spread. A, I know, I know. It's... I uh, but that was the whole thing. Um when when Dino got the job, mm-hmm. you know, my biggest question was, well, how are you gonna convince kids to come up to Syracuse to play? I mean, are you, are you gonna recruit them in in July? You know, they have to take their, their official visit in July. Ooh. Because nobody's nobody's gonna take that official visit in January yeah. or February and say, Oh, I love this place. I can't wait to get here. Uh, you know, somebody from California or Florida is gonna go to Syracuse. Yeah. So but he is such a he has such a good recruiter and he's such a, a good offensive mind. Um, I'm, I'm actually very surprised at their struggles the last mm-hmm. two years. Yeah. And, you know, it, it sounds as though he's on a little bit of thin ice. But, you know, to me, you know, the big thing is up there mm-hmm. because you are right in that mentality that we talked about with, you know, Western New York and Pittsburgh. Right. Um, you know, there's a there's a there's a type of kid that you're going to find there. Right. Uh, a lot of them are late bloomers, like you said. Yeah, you know, not a lot of people know about them. But if you get to redshirt them, yeah, um, and then you get that extra year, and now all of a sudden they kind of catch up to everybody else. Um, yeah, that's one of the things I love down here. I used, you know, I love Texas high school football. I followed it my whole time uh, while I've been down here yeah. in this area in Salina. Um, is one of the one of the schools featured in the Boys of Fall? Okay, the song. It's uh, it's it's the team with the orange C on their helmet. And Friday night at Salina <laughs> is unbelievable. It is absolutely one of the most amazing things you'll ever see. Um, and it's 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 the entire community. Yeah, um, it's it's just fantastic. It's so, different, you know. But they have these they have these guys. They get preferred walk on status. Oh you know, they, they maybe maybe they're not they're not the you know they don't have the breakaway speed, but they've got the passion for the game, right. the work ethic, and once you get them to a big college program, you can make them into what you want them to be. You know, they're going to get stronger, they're going to get mm-hmm. faster, but you can't teach the mentality right. that comes out of some of these places or the passion for the game that already has to be there. Yeah. So I've always felt that athleticism could be created, but what you needed to look for was was the passion for the game and a guy who's a good teammate. Interesting. That's, I mean, you hear coaches say that, and I always thought that was like one of those things, you know, that people say, but hearing you describe it that way, like, yeah, that makes sense. You'd, you'd want to look for those guys, but how rare are, is it to find guys like that? That's got to be the question, you know, especially in this day and age where, I mean, the internet is like, listen, I'm not like that old, but the internet has changed everything and ruined a little bit of sports to a degree, just because everything is so flashy and and all that kind of like the tenants you're talking about kind of go out the window with some of these players that care about like flash and and the substance goes away. Yeah, they're out there. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) They're they're going to be missing one of the measurables, right? They're not going to be quite fast enough. They're not going to be quite big enough um you know all these numbers that these these people are aggregating now at the, mm-hmm. at the college and high school level you know like they're pro athletes yeah um you know it, it's you know sometimes they get overlooked and i think it was the i think it was the philadelphia new england super bowl would it have been that one or maybe uh-huh. but it's one in the, in the in the past couple of years uh-huh. and i think it was trent dilfer who did it and he said of the 22 starters yeah um so 22 starters, so there's 40, the, the, the 44 guys, uh-huh. offense and defense for both teams, 20, I think it was 27 of those 44 
were three star or less recruits. Love that. Love that. Uh, so that yeah. just you know, so there is a way to find that guy, and that guy once he finds that that opportunity usually takes it, uh, runs takes with advantage it. Of yeah. it. Yeah. And maximize. It. Absolutely. And that's what we're seeing with a lot of the young fullbacks that are coming in to the NFL now. You know, Chandler Cox over at. Uh, in Miami and even guys like Keith Smith on the Falcons, he really ran with his opportunity and has made a name. What are your thoughts on the fullback assist? Do you wish, have you heard of the fullback assist, the stat that Barstool created? The fullback what? Assist, assist. <laughs> no. I oh boy. Okay. So Barstool Sports, there's a guy over there, PFF commentator. He's very intrigued by fullbacks as much as I. And so they actually use their R&D department to figure out how to create a statistic to quantify the impact a fullback has. Because as you and I both know, it's very hard to put on paper what a fullback is doing in the game, you know? And Mm -hmm. even the guys that you talk to, they say, yeah, we're not going to have stats on the website that you can look at and say, this guy's making an impact because that's just not how it works. But they were able to figure out on touchdowns in the NFL, they did it for the last three years, um, on touchdowns in the NFL inside the red zone, I think it was a certain amount of yards. You know, if a fullback makes a block to create that touchdown, then they get what's called a fullback assist. And so I think C.J. Ham led in fullback assists with seven in 2018. So that's something that they've started to try and put into, you know, a, a visceral thing, what a fullback does. Yeah, you, had you not heard that yet? No. I mean, <laughs> for me, for me, what the, the, a good one for me has always been, you know, Emmett would sometimes would go on the opposite side. You know, yeah. it, it, it'd be a run designed to the right, and you'd go to the right, and you know, you'd think we blocked it well, and all of a sudden he's going out the back door on the left side, and, and he's got an explosive run. And you know, I would talk to him afterwards. Yeah, and he goes, "Yeah, it was good on the right side, but it was it was real good on the back side." So there's <laughs> yards in the run game that aren't really attributed. To right. Him. So what would be good though mm-hmm. is instead of yards after contact, yards after block. Yards after so block. So if, if the running back does choose to follow his fullback into the hole, okay, and stays on his hip once that block is made and it's an effective block how many yards does he get beyond that that is a good one so yeah i like that that. that okay one i would look at uh, because that's that's the dirty work everything else yeah um you know i think you see yeah uh, i think it would be interesting to see how many positions does he line up in so you know find some way to to (laughs) aggregate that where he's not he's not just you know in the eye or the offset eye you know he's he's he plays that wide yeah. What does he do when he plays out wide? Do they actually throw him the ball, or is that just you know? Is he just running you know a five yard hitch, or is he an actual viable receiver running a, you know an out a comeback? Yeah. Um, you know, is he a, a, a legitimate threat in the passing game? So I think there's a, a number of different ways to quantify it. Yeah. Um, but to me, the best thing is is you know how does the defense choose to match? Right. And what kind of matchups does uh, does Kyle Juszczyk create? Um, you know, because to me, he's the one right now that's that's really kind of elevated the position is is uh, as skilled as he is at doing a number of different yeah. things offensively. Yeah, he's he's not as traditional though. When you look, because people ask me that all the time, especially being from the Bay Area, you know what I think of Kyle Juszczyk. And I, obviously, he's a phenomenal player, very smart, smart player. But he's definitely not a traditional fullback. And I know that I know before you say it, I know the spread has made us move away from that, and I totally understand that. But there are still some guys that fit that traditional mold of a fullback and he just seems just more of like a hybrid, you know? Yeah. He's more, he's more F and H than he is. Yeah. And, you know, to me, you know, if if you were to go back, you know, a little bit more like a Tom Rathman, Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. You know, but, but Tom was, was still, you know, there was a little bit more traditional in Tom. Yeah. Um, cause Tom was a very good blocker and, and Kyle's a good blocker, but he's not a thumper. Right. You know, he's a, he's a smart blocker. Right. Um, and, and that's something that, that people don't really get. And, you know, to your point, you know, okay. a lot of times these guys are pretty smart. Um, you know, yeah. I think you get the moniker of, of being a cement head <laughs> and you're just running in there and, 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 you know, trading paint with somebody, but you know, they're, they're smart when they block they know how to block that's going to be the most effective. Um, I argue with my, my position coach all the time mm-hmm. because it's easy to draw it up on a, on a whiteboard and say, okay, I want you to you know square this guy up and, and run into him and drive him out of the hole. Yeah. Well, no, because number one, you know, very rarely <laughs> do you meet, you know, coming downhill and downhill. There's always, there's a, there's an angle to it. Right. You know, there's a, there's a flow in the game. So, you know, I, I would always, depending on, you know, which way flow was, I would always take the back shoulder and then use his momentum and wheel, you know, and just continue to wheel him through right. uh, on his, on his path and just use his momentum to run him by the hole, <laughs> which is smart. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what you do. You, over time, you figure out how to do it. You figure out when you can cut. And I would always tell Emmett when I'm going to cut. Yeah. I said, listen, you know, this is going to be really downhill on this one. So I'm going to cut him. So don't, don't be tight to me because there's going <laughs> to be, yeah. be a big log jam in the hole. So, <laughs> He goes, well, well, can't you stay up on him? I'm like, no, no, this he needs to be cut right now. So, oh boy, don't question, don't question your methods, yeah, right? Like yeah, just... there's, yeah, there's a method to my madness. Just, <laughs> just trust me on this one. And then, you know, you you're talking about the moniker of Meathead. One of the greatest nicknames and now obviously your nickname is up there okay so we're not going to discount that and we will talk about that but one of the greatest nicknames that i've heard for a fullback is do you remember owen schmidt yeah the runaway beer truck (laughs) (laughs) that has got to be i mean when rich rodriguez i was talking to him for this story he started he just lit up when he started talking about owen schmidt because you know People don't realize Rich Rodriguez was kind of the founder of the two-minute hurry-up offense at Glenville State in 1997. Like, I went all the way back. I, I took it, like, way back to go to the beginning of this and figure out where the fullback fit in this origin story, right? And so he says they weren't really able to implement the fullback into that hurry-up spread until he got Owen Schmidt at West Virginia. And he talked about this kid in a way that I just, I there were no words for how, how much he loved him, but how crazy this kid was. And so when you think of fullback to me, that's like that stereotype, right? Of just the, this crazy guy slamming his head into the helmet on the sideline. But that is definitely not the norm for the position across the board, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, it, but it's like you said, there, there's a cerebral part to it, mm-hmm. but there has to be a kind of zany part to it as well. Yeah. Because... Um, okay, if he's cerebral, why is he continuing to do this? Um, you know, if he was smart, he would find a, a, a different position to play. So yes. he can't be all that smart. Right. But there is that 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 craziness to it. Um, and I think that you know, if you were to talk to everybody, they it's not that they don't like the limelight. They just they just like just putting their head their, down and doing it. Well, yeah. doing doing their task. Yeah. You know, off to the side. You know. Right. You know, I don't need I don't need everybody. You know, to, to congratulate me to pat me on the back. You know, you, you're. <laughs> They're usually self-motivational. Um, they just take a lot of pride in their work. Yeah, um, well, that belay, yeah. that belays a level of confidence too that not a lot of young men young men possess. So, in and of itself, it's impressive to not need that validation and verification that you're doing well. You know? Yeah, I like because you get it. You get it from the people that matter. That's you know, true. You get, like mm-hmm. I said, you get it from you get it from your opponents. You get it from opposition coaches. You know, those are those are the compliments that mean a ton to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fans are going to love you. 
um, because you play for their team. Um, you know, the, the cool thing that I liked about in Dallas is, you know, when you have the really smart fan base or, and, you, and you meet some of the smarter fans and mm-hmm. they get it, they understand it. And they're like you, they're kind of, they're kind of, <laughs> you know, taking a deep dive into the position and, and there's a respect factor Yeah, just because of, of what, what it entails, yes. you know, what, what makes you do this? Um, there's a curiosity, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. It and, is. You know, I, you know, our connection, Laura Oakman, I mean, she actually uses, <laughs> you know, she uses the fullback as it, it's more, it's not a position. It's a, it's a style. It's a way. It's yeah. There's a personality to it. Where yes. like everybody should have a fullback in their day to day life. Yes. Because it, it's somebody who's got your back and, and takes care of you and is always going to be there. Um, so that, that, that was, that was one of the things that I enjoyed is, you know, is, as we, you know, spent years together working, she's like, you know what? Everybody needs a fullback. <laughs> I love that. So it was kind of, it was kind of, and that was kind of funny. I never thought of it that way before. Everybody but, does uh, need yeah. a fullback. And now that you say that, I think that I'm the fullback in my friend's life. So now this makes sense to me, my curiosity with all of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. You probably possess a lot of the same qualities. <laughs> oh my goodness. Having, having just light bulb moments here on the podcast. I had never met another girl who had been as just ingrained in this as she had. So it was really nice to be able to talk to someone else, a female, you know, because it's different when you haven't played. I go and I talk to all these coaches and players and even interact with people that are fans that want to argue about the position. And the biggest thing that happens is they go, oh, well, you don't understand. You never played. It's like, yes, that's very true. I've never stepped foot on a football field in that capacity, but I... I have dedicated my career to studying film and, and speaking to people who can explain it to me, like coaches. You know what I mean? Yes. So, yeah. so you know, you know everything you could possibly know without playing the position. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, the, the knowledge that's that's gained that way. You know, sometimes, you know, rivals on field experience. There's certain people you'll meet, and and they're maybe they're not going to make it to the NFL level. Maybe they're not going to be you know mm-hmm. make it at the collegiate level. But you know that there's a passion for the game, yeah. and you know at some point they're going to be a hell of a coach, a yeah. hell of a coach. Um, you know, my quarterback in high school mm-hmm. is the head coach of Wake Forest. Really, and we all knew. You know, even in high school, we knew that Dave Clawson was going to be a coach. And, okay. You know, where he's going to be, I don't know, but I do know he's going to be a coach, and he is. You know, he has done a tremendous job at a, at a small academic school that's really hard to get players to come to, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you've got a, a competitive program, you know, at a Wake Forest, and, he, and he's done it at a number of small schools. Yeah. Um, and he's, just, he's, very, he's very passionate about the game. He understands, uh, you know, matchups. Um, he's just, he's super, super smart. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that, that, that I knew back in high school, you know, someday was going to be a coach. And yeah. sure enough, he's... He's been a Wake Forest now for several years. That's so knocking funny. Off my alma, knocking off my alma mater. For the last <laughs> That's fun. That's a fun little uh, added bonus to your friendship with him. Added layer yeah. there. <laughs> I just did a story on coaches that started in small ball because I had no idea there was this like fraternity of you know coaches that preferred to coach I mean Gus Malzahn coached high school for 10 years and people don't even know that like he didn't start at the division one and then move up he coached high school uh you know Todd Graham started that way uh Rich Rodriguez did as well and then there's these coaches at Temple the offensive and defensive coordinator that coached NAIA and all these guys say that coaching at that level led them to be better coaches now because they had to do everything. I mean, Gus Malzahn talks about driving the bus, you know, um, fixing toilets at the school. 
So I'm curious, it's kind of the same, like how you talked about coming up from your small community made you a better player. I wonder if coaches are the same way, you know, if you coach at that lower level gives you a greater appreciation and understanding for the game. Yeah, we talked uh, with Matt Rule. We had Carolina, oh, you know, back, I love back Matt. a couple weeks ago. He's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Now you can see why he's been so successful. Mm-hmm. Again, it's schools that are not easy to have success. When you talk about Temple and Baylor, those are two places <laughs> yeah. that it's not really easy to do what he yes. did. I mean, within three, four years, he's got them, you know, 10 win seasons, 11 win seasons, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from a one or, or, or two win season, you know, the year before he got there or his first year there. He talked to us about coaching and teaching, you know, yeah. how my staff have to be teachers. They can't just be coaches. They have to be, that. you know, be able to teach. And he goes, I do find that at the college level, that that's a little bit more uh, a part of, of their skill set, uh, as opposed to somebody who's been a lifer in the NFL. Yeah. Um, because in the NFL, you're, 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 you're coaching, you're honing, you're yeah. tweaking. Um, you know, I think a lot of times at the college level, you know, you, kids from, from all different backgrounds, from all different athletic abilities and you've got to, you've got to, you know, blend that and, and create, you know, offenses and defenses out of that and positional groups. And, you know, you've, you've got to be a great teacher to get all those kids to the same level. Yeah. So I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting. So I'm, I'm sure there is a part of, uh, of, of what you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, when you talk about coaches that have been at the high school level for a long time, yeah. you know, tend to have a, a very unique skill set as a head coach once they get an opportunity uh, at, a, at a big college level or make it into the pros. And with the guy from Indiana right now, I just did, I'd never really heard of him. And, you know, they're having such a great season. I went and looked him up and, and he spent, uh, he spent a ton of time as a high school coach down in Florida. Isn't I think. it crazy to find that stuff out when you go look yeah. and you're like, I had no idea. You're talking about Tom Allen. He's in, yeah. he's incredible. I love, love him, but I, I do. Okay. Have you ever heard of the school, New Hampshire? The college, New yes. Hampshire college. <laughs> and that is not like a, it's not, this is not a trick question. A lot of people have not heard of it. Like it's a small school in the, in the state. And there is a coach there who's been coaching since 1990. Right. And he's never left. He's just, he's just been there. Um, I'm doing a story on him. I didn't realize his coaching tree in college football might be the deepest roots I've ever seen because people like Chip Kelly coach there. Um, Alex Grinch from Oklahoma coached there. Um, the Marshall offensive coordinator, Tim Cramsey coach there, just like all of these people that are now successful in division one started at, and Ryan day played there. Is that not crazy to yeah. think about? I remember talking to Chip Kelly about that. And really? I think, I think that's that he used to go up, um, to the Patriot camps mm-hmm. and that, and that, so he had a relationship with Bill Belichick, I think mm-hmm. when he was at the university or New Hampshire college, probably. Yeah. The proximity makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very excited to, to start this story about this guy. Cause this no one's ever heard of this head coach. You know, they're like, yeah. where did this guy come from? And he's got some of the biggest roots, but I, those are the kind of stories I like anyways. All right. I got way off topic there. Sorry. <laughs> I get excited as we talk about these things and kind of roll forward, but I want to ask your thoughts really quickly. Have you been watching much college football this season? You know, we don't. Saturday is, is uh, because Prep of the day, probably <laughs> the, yeah, because of the way the, the weekend structured this mm-hmm. year. Yeah, Saturday is, uh, is mainly a travel day. Um, and then we're, you know, that we're, that's the first time we're together all week. Uh, um, so we're, we're kind of, we're cramming for a final exam on Saturday <laughs> afternoon. So it, it, it's in the background, yeah. Um, but yeah, but unfortunately it's not, a, it's not a big focal point, uh, for our group this year, because, uh, that's, that's really our one time during the course of the week where we can really start to, to hone in on how our game is going to unfold. That makes sense. Are you surprised that the season has been able to progress the way that it has? Um, you know, instead of like, are you surprised there was a season? 
Uh, yeah, I am. I am, especially the way it started out with some of the bigger conferences kind of, you know, pulling some shenanigans there and, 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 you know, trying to trying to do a grab for some stuff that we've we've all been fighting for since back in the in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm glad to see that, that you know, smarter minds prevailed and, and they got back refocused and have got back out on the field. But I think, you know, the fun thing for me is seeing, you know, Coastal Carolina and Liberty yes. in the 25. You know, that's been... <laughs> Yeah, it's been pretty cool. So um, it's I highly nice. recommend that you catch a Marshall game if you ever can, because Marshall is one of the most special teams this year. They're so incredible. All right. But it's like nobody would have known had it's weird what the pandemic did for schools like that. You know, it's yeah. strange. Well, you know, doing the spring leagues the last two years, I was uh-huh. a GM in San Antonio two years yep. ago, and then I uh, was working with Bob Stoops in Dallas last year. And, you know, all these little colleges that nobody's heard of, you know, be, they be, they became the, the, the places that we were looking for. Right. Because the athlete that comes out of Liberty, that comes out of Coastal Carolina, that comes out of Assumption. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we just, did, we just did the Saints game last weekend. Yeah. And, and, you know, the... We were talking to uh, to Sean Payton about Deontay Harris, and he goes, "I didn't even know where Assumption was." And I'm like, <laughs> "I said, you know what? I said it's the craziest little school up there in Worcester." Um, and I said, "I I want to know who the Assumption strength coach is because these kids all are like cookie cutters. They're all undersized, but they are just stacked and yeah. dynamic and explosive." It was you know some of the highest graded guys that came to our little combine events ended up being, you know, assumption kids and these small, you know, coastal Carolina had a ton of, yeah. of super talented guys that were showing up. That's awesome. I love, I love to hear that. I, I love that. Do you think the, now you talk about the Alliance, do you think the, the second or third go round of the XFL is going to be finally successful and stick? And what do you think of the last season? Yeah, I just think the pandemic, you know, put you just think it hurt it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was a big thing. I mean, you, you, Vince McMahon was getting hit you know, on both sides, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the stock, the stock price and, you know, where his, you know, the majority of his net worth is, yeah. is the WWE. And, and that was getting clobbered yeah. with the pandemic because they couldn't do that. And then he was the single bill payer, you know, for the XFL because it's yeah. a single owner entity. So, you know, you know, Vince was writing all the, uh, all the checks. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, he just, he just had to make a financial decision. And then unfortunately it, I, I know it was a hard decision for him to make. Yeah. Um, but cause it was that, doing well, why. people were embracing it. Yeah. It was, I would I would love to see a blend. I I, mm-hmm. I I still thought we had really really good football in the alliance. Yeah, um, we had some players that that the XFL kind of shied away from a little bit. Um, Interesting because of of certain reasons, and yeah. they were some of the more dynamic players in our league in the alliance. So um, you know, I, I thought they were both done very very well. Uh, I think they both demonstrated not only a need for spring football, mm-hmm. but actually you know a, a desire for people to watch it. You know, yeah, ratings were good. And I thought that was the thing that set the XFL apart. Their uh, their distribution, you know, having you know ESPN and Fox, uh, you know, be a part of, of their broadcasting groups yeah. was the, the big differentiator between the two leagues. And you know, we, we generated a decent rating in the alliance, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with the partners that we had. But when uh, when the XFL upped their game with who they were going to do their their game rights to, uh, you know, th- those ratings got even higher. So, yeah. Um, and, and I just you know I know that. The time that the kids can spend on the field in college has been shortened a ton. Yes. I know the time that they spend on the field at the professional level has been shortened a ton. And I know that the coaches even, you know, we they're just not as fundamentally sound when they're getting to the NFL as they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Interesting. Um, okay. you know, this league, this league would give them the opportunity, you know, for an offensive lineman to kind of slowly adjust, you know, to the size yeah. and speed of, of the game at the NFL level for the quarterback. Okay you know, to get some real live reps, um, you know, to help his development. 
Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of positions that would really, really benefit if they had the opportunity to actually play games uh, at, a, at a competitive professional level. That's interesting that you say that. I like that because there is a, a learning curve, an adjustment period, especially for the guys that are not, you know, the top guys coming out of college. They they know it's going to be faster and stronger, but when you get there, it's just different. So giving them that kind of grace period would be beneficial. I, I yeah. could see that. That's interesting. Well, the last thing I'm going to ask you is you mentioned the Saints. Obviously, I was there this weekend as well. First ever Saints game. During a pandemic was a little different as a fan, especially. Uh, but we got to see Taysom Hill at quarterback, which people were kind of split about, it seemed at first. But as the game wore on, the fans were like 100% behind this kid and very yeah. excited. What was your impression of him, of the Saints in general, and, and kind of the environment there? Yeah, I, I think the same thing. You know, I think, you know, he comes in as a gadget guy. Yeah. Um, you know, normally, and, and now he's going to be, you know, the quarterback for the entire game. Um, <laughs> yeah. I knew how excited he was for it. We, you know, we were excited to just see, you know, what type, what type of rhythm he could get into. Yeah. Um, so I think it was natural for him to be, you know, maybe a little, a little inconsistent in that first right. quarter, but, but as the game progressed, he got better and better and better. Yeah. And, you know, he finished on a, on a really good hot streak, you know, in that second half. So, um, you know, I thought, I thought he did a great job. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. It was one of the more surprising things that Sean said to us, you know, during our interviews last week, yeah. you know, I asked him, I said, Hey, does this speed up the clock for you now? You know, if, if, if Taysom is the guy you were going to go with it, as opposed to Jameis, does this speed up the clock and yeah. finding the guy that's going to replace Drew Brees? He goes, uh, no, because I think that guy is already in the building. <laughs> oh, so, <okay. laughs> so that was, you know, that was interesting. I, and Sean, Sean speaks highly of Taysom and, uh, and he holds him in a very high regard and, and is very, very confident he can be a number one quarterback in the NFL. It was impressive. I mean, he did not seem to get down even when he made mistakes, like you said, which are going to be normal for any guy coming in, taking over. But he he didn't let it affect him. His confidence kind of permeated throughout the whole game, which was awesome. So Yeah, uh, he just, you know, he smiles the whole time. I mean, he <laughs> He's got a little swagger there. there. He'll bring and he smile the whole time. So you can see why, the t- why his teammates love him. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a... That's a huge part of that position Mm -hmm. um and for him it just comes naturally um that guys gravitate to him are you allowed to say where one of your where your favorite place to go call a game is or are you not allowed to to vocalize that (laughs) no 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 no. it would be there's a little (laughs) bit with everything um you know arrowhead is great Mm -hmm. um you know, it's, it's going to be all your classic venues Okay. because to me, you know, the other part has a little bit to do with it. The city, mm-hmm. you know, where you stay, you know, what, what you're able to do during the course of the weekend, which this year is nothing. Right. Um, <laughs> so this year it's just straight out football. So, you know, we've been at Lambeau, we've been at Arrowhead, we've been at mm-hmm. uh, Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Yes. Um, you know, Quest is great when the crowd is packed. Okay. Um, Have you made it to? Are you are you going to go to any of the new stadiums, um, like SoFi or um, the new Raiders Stadium? I do not have those on the schedule okay. yet. So I, yeah, I've, I've seen SoFi. I haven't seen um, Allegiant. One, uh, uh, yeah, I haven't seen <laughs> Allegiant. Uh, I finally got to Atlanta. Okay. Uh, so I did. Uh, I did a game in Atlanta. Nice. Um, we did uh, Minnesota. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So, the, you know, the relatively new ones that have been around for, you know, three, four years. Um, Not you know, Levi, though. Tell me you don't like uh, Levi. Uh, it's 
see what, what happens to me is I'm a, I'm a purist. Um, okay. you know, Texas, I like Texas stadium more than I like AT&T. Okay. I like RFK more than I like FedEx. Wow. I like candlestick okay. more than I like, uh, Levi. Um, yeah. Well, Levi's in Santa Clara. I like, I like US bank better than, than the Metrodome. Though. The Metrodome was horrible. <laughs> so that, okay. that's definitely one that needed improvement, but, um, you know, I like mile high more than, uh, oh, yeah. than, than the new one in Denver. So, there's just, you know, there's that historic element to it that, you know, for me growing up watching football as a kid, right. you know, those are always going to be my stadiums. But RFK was one of the, the greatest places to play and mm-hmm. win a football game. In. Um, it was mm-hmm. just so much fun. You know, the rivalry, you know, the vet was a, you know, a, a disaster, the field and everything <laughs> that was a part of Philadelphia. Right. But there was nothing, there was nothing better than winning at the vet. I mean, it was absolutely nothing better. Did you ever go to the Raiders Coliseum, like the Coliseum? I did. Oh, yeah. see, I played a couple of games at the Coliseum. So you would have? Did you appreciate that for what it is, or do you hate it like everybody else? Uh, no, I appreciated it. Okay, you know, it's kind of crazy how close the fans could get to you. It's um, amazing. You know, on the visiting side, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there's just there's quirkiness to some of the old stadiums that that added a little bit of. You know, yeah. nostalgic charm to them. So I like that. See, it, I like everything that. Everything is so fancy now. Yes. It's too fancy. The new Raiders Stadium Allegiant, it ha- so I grew up a Raiders fan. My mom raised me that way from the 70s. And so now you look at that spaceship Death Star Stadium, it looks nothing like what the Raiders brand is. Now, I'm not saying that the Raiders brand should ha- always be you know, the rapscallion fans that they are because, you know, it, sometimes it's a bad moniker, but... That stadium, I cannot correlate between that and, and what the Raiders stand for. It's just like a completely different thing. It's too nice. Yeah. It's way too nice. Yeah. I agree. I mean, what was uh, what was the, the end zone? Uh, the black the, hole. Yeah, the black, <laughs> there, can't, there can't be a black hole. It's too nice. There's no black hole. There's no tailgating. We used to, 6 a.m., people be out there taking Jaeger bombs. And it was just the tent city that'd be outside. I mean, it was just a culture, you know, and that's not going to be cultivated in Vegas. It's going to be kind of everybody's team when they're there because you're going to have so many people coming from all over and, you know, corporate stuff. It's just, they're not going to be that team anymore. So it's kind of a bummer. I know it's nice. The technology's great. There's like a club inside the stadium. That's cool. But like you said, I feel like you lose a little bit of that old school football, you know, Vibe. Yeah, but they, they had to have a transient element to their fan base, right? Because they moved so many times. <laughs> Can't get away from that. Think they could do that in a less high-tech <laughs> way, though? Like, maybe yeah. covered wagons, like gypsy. In, embrace that gypsy <laughs> moniker, you know? <laughs> that would have been fine. Well, thank you so much, Gerald, for coming on and talking. I kept you way longer than usual, Is as per my custom on here. I apologize. <laughs> No, no problem. It's good, right? It's good conversation. A hundred percent. Anytime I get to chat with somebody, you know, of your, we didn't even get to talk about how great your career was, but it was. And so it's really nice to be able to get your input on things. And, and anytime I get to talk fullbacks is, is the best day in my book. So I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. We'll definitely have to have you come back on in the future and, and check back in on the position so we can make sure it's still thriving. You got it. My pleasure.